interrupt this program to bring you the utility players classified results. Arsenal 3, Watford 2, Adelaide Crows 59, Essington 62, Brisbane Broncos 8, Melbourne Storm 46. Hello, we are the Utility Players, I'm Ali, and I'm Rory, and welcome to our world of sport. Welcome to Series 2 of the Utility Players. We uh, had a little break last week, uh, owing to the fact that the country here in the UK was opening up, and we both had an opportunity to to get away and do something else, which which was really good, but don't worry, we are, we are back and refreshed and revitalised and ready to go, aren't we, Rory? Yeah, buzzing, can't wait, and it, it feels like so much has happened in the two weeks that we've been away, it, it's hard to keep up, um, so I feel like we're overdue talking about it all. Absolutely, as I said, being the start of Series 2 this week, there'll be no guest, uh, for those of you who've been uh, listening from the start, we're going to start each series just with a, a conversation amongst ourselves between me and Rory uh, but don't worry we've got one, lots of wonderful exciting guests signed up for the rest of the series uh, from the world of athletics from the world of sports reporting uh, and even hopefully from the uh, Paralympic Games athletes. So as usual we'll talk about the uh, our classified results first of all and um, my crows came so mighty close to actually winning <laughs> actually winning a game and they even they had a kick they had a kick inside the 50 with about 20 seconds to go to 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 win the game it was a long shot but but just pushed it wide right and the the rebuild is slowly getting there yeah it's looking it's looking better for the crows um i think a win would certainly <laughs> mark the start of the rebuild although People are trying to say that the Broncos are also rebuilding this week. And given that they lost by almost 40 points, that seems optimistic. But they did at least show some resistance during the first half before the Melbourne Storm ran in six tries in the second. So maybe the rebuild's a bit going to be further away for the Broncos. I feel like this article's written by fans rather than maybe <laughs> journalists. And, um, and Arsenal finished the Premier League season. One game to go for them in the FA Cup final. But, um, but after a, a, a crazy poor sort of 20 25 minutes from Watford to start the game on on Sunday Arsenal let Watford back in to to stay up in the Premier League uh, as Watford you know tried to claw their way to get a victory but ultimately we saw the Premier League finish this weekend with with Watford and, and Bournemouth going down and, and Aston Villa after an incredible finish uh, looking at their run of fixtures coming in getting I think it was six or seven points from the last three games to, to see them stay up um, on goal difference. Yeah, I mean, firstly, starting on Arsenal. It's been four games since we last on air, and it's been, it's been a brave and mental time for them, obviously. Beating Liverpool, the champions, and then beating Man City, the second-best team by far in the country in the FA Cup semi-final. And then in a fashion that only Arsenal could do, going and losing to Aston Villa <laughs> the week after. But I mean, playing teams that are fighting for survival is more difficult than people make out. And obviously that was a huge result for Villa and essentially is what kept them in the league while well, put them in a position they could then keep themselves in the league on the final day. And then the biggest thing for me about the Watford game is Kieran Tierney getting his first goal for Arsenal. And it's amazing how fickle we are as fans. Now, when Kieran Tierney played for Celtic, 
didn't like him. He played for Celtic and he was a good player. I mean, I liked him when he played for Scotland, obviously, but when he played for Celtic, I had no time for him. But now he's an Arsenal player. I love him. Favourite player. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just how fickle we are as fans. But no, I mean, last day of the Premier season was really exciting. Obviously, we had Man U and Chelsea going to the Champions League as well. I mean, poor old Leicester. Everyone thought they'd had a fantastic season. They were shoo-ins for the Champions League. Uh, and then it, Man U got the points on the final day of the season. I think I just... I don't know with Leicester whether it's a sign of maybe the restart taking a toll on them and maybe the break kind of hitting them pretty hard because we've seen a lot of teams struggle for form since since the break for the pandemic. And I feel Leicester is certainly one of those teams. And you feel like Leicester were in a pretty good place before the break, kind of comfortably in third. And that kind of, they never quite picked up again once football started again. And you don't know whether things would have been different for them. I guess obviously it's it's the same for everyone and you do have to deal with that situation. But it'd be interesting if we could have a parallel non-COVID universe whether Leicester would have made it to the Champions League or not. Yeah, and I think there's no doubt they, they, they certainly were more likely to. Yeah, When you look at a team at Leicester, Leicester are a team where the total sum of their parts is better than the parts themselves. You know, when they won the league, the success they've had over the last, you know, four or five years under Ranieri and then now under um, Brendan Rodgers, it is because they've played as a team, you know, and, and, and they fight for each other and they play for them. There's a unity team. And we spoke in the last episode before the end of season one about, you know, that, adage you talked about from Game of Thrones where you know five what's stronger five or one and in, in making that fist and and that's what's been successful and and when that momentum is taken away from a team like that a team that's that's doing well then then it's very difficult to rekindle that straight away um when you're sort of playing week in week out when you're in the role of it when 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 you're on top and things are going well Wait, having said that, Jamie Vardy had been struggling to score and all of a sudden he found the net again to start after the pandemic. But for teams like that, it's probably probably harder to, to rekindle that momentum. Whereas you look at a team like Man United, who certainly until potentially recently were not a team that was built on the sum of their parts. They were very much a team of individual players and some superstar players, but there was no cohesion, there was no momentum. And seems to have come out of lockdown and, and Oliver Gunnar Solskjaer has found something there. You know, people are talking about what well, Mason Greenwood, you know, what a sun revelation he is. And, and he clearly is going to be a fantastic player, but is he going to be the new Mishada? You know, the amount of times we see, everyone's talking about Man United now going to be this force to be reckoned with these young players and, and certainly English fans will be hoping that is the case uh, with, with, with the Euros push back a year. But I'm going to be really intrigued to see what happens start of next season with Manchester United uh, and whether it's a crest of a wave and, and how, wasn't that long ago we were talking about Jesse Lingard being this amazing thing wasn't that long ago we were talking about you know as I said Mishader and, and other young players we've seen a lot of big clubs where the, these youngsters have a fantastic start and then and then we see what happens to them so I'm going to be really intrigued to see what what Manchester United look like at the start of next season I mean yeah talking about young players in that sense you could Maybe talk about Bakayo Saka in the same breath. Where Arsenal's had such a good season this year, but it's one season. We'll have to see how he comes out next season. But I think on Mason Greenwood, it's interesting. I, I totally take your point. And obviously, he's going to have a lot to prove to see whether he's going to become the player he's kind of built to be. But I think from what I've seen, Mason Greenwood is a better player than Makeda was. And probably a better player than Jesse Lingard was. I feel like these guys were guys who had loads of talent and loads of potential and everyone thinks, oh, they're going to come good. Well, I feel like with Mason Greenwood, he's already come good. He's got 10 Premier League goals this season. 
I think he scored 18 in all competitions. And I'd be surprised if Jesse Lingard or Makeda has scored that much at any stage at, at this age. And kind of, he just, he looks so settled in that front three with uh, Martial and Rashford. And they're looking pretty dangerous now that kind of, they've got Fernandez to be like the talisman almost and allow them to have a little bit more freedom, maybe, maybe a little bit less pressure. And I feel like the difference is that Makeda and players like that were players that were built to be good. I feel like Mason Greenwood is already good. I think though, Ali, we've seen in the time we've been away that the championship has proved again that it's potentially the best league in the world. Before we get on to that, um, one team that won't be there in the Premier League but will be in the championship is Bournemouth. So Bournemouth's stay has come to an end. And I just want to ask you very quickly, you know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about um, you know, driving for show, putting for dough, as, as a saying. You know, people I listen to pundits on match of the day or whatever, and they say, you know, you need a goal scorer. If you're gonna stay in this league, you need to goal score it. So is it all about goals? Um so we look at Bournemouth. Bournemouth have never really had any problem scoring goals, but in the five years they have been in the Premier League, they have conceded over sixty goals a season. No other team is doing that. Over sixty goals a season. So it shows, you know, how grandable they've been up front. So the average, I think. I think the average in the Premier League this year is 51. I think the average is around 50. So every year they've been in the league, they have averaged well over what the average is in goals they're conceding. And it's finally caught up with them. So my question to you is, this whole kind of unique goal scorers, it's all about scoring goals, you haven't got the goal scorer. What about the other end? You know, over 60 goals. And in that time apart from one season where I think they finished ninth, every other season up until, you know, with about five games to go, they've been in potential shout of going down. You know, they've never really cemented themselves and moved up into a, a middle of the league team. So surely, it's, you know, if you're conceding, you, you, you're screwed. I've, I disagree with that. I would disagree that Bournemouth never cemented themselves in the Premier League. I feel like, Bournemouth have been a pretty comfortable Premier League team for a while, and actually quite a nice Premier League team for a while because they play that brand of attractive football. Now, yes, they never maybe pushed the top half, but I also think they were rarely involved in a scrap on the last day at the same time. But I think that actually the fact that they stayed in the Premier League for so long, I mean, they were there for years. I don't know how many exactly how many years they were. Five years. Five years. I mean, when Bournemouth came up, they, they would have been delighted if they were told you're going to stay in the Premier League for five years, I think, because they're not exactly a team that expect, would have expected to have been in the Premier League at the time. So I think that actually shows that if you are scoring enough goals, you can make a good run of it and you can be competitive within this league, even if they aren't going to become the, be- the a team that's in the top half and fighting for the Europa League. No, yeah. If, when they came up, he said five years, you take that. But after two, after two, maybe three years, you need to, for me, it's... It needs to be a case of, right, let, what are we going to do about this? And it, and it hasn't changed. I mean, you said that. So in their time up, they, they finished ninth once. But apart from that, they finished 16th. They finished 16th. They finished 18th. And they finished ninth. So, so you know, so it's not like, I mean, as you said, they cemented themselves in that. And maybe, you know, on the last day of the season, yes, they were fine. But every year, it seems to be up until May or certainly it's April, certainly, it's like, Bournemouth are part of it. No, I love Bournemouth. I love what Eddie Howe's done. There was a part, a time where I said Eddie Howe for Arsenal manager, and that when that was a being floated around, I wasn't against that idea. But it just seems to me I, I, I'd appreciated that they're 
they weren't good as defensively as they were in the attacking sense. But 60 goals a season, I mean, that's 10 goals plus over the above the average every single season. Yeah, no, that is fair. And you think internally as a club, you should go, right, well, how do we get better? We could get better by conceding less goals. And they do so by strengthening the defence. But I think part of it is that you, you see this, and you'll see this next year, I'm sure, because I'm about to go on and talk about the championship and the teams that are coming up. But a lot of a lot of I feel, a lot of managers, I feel, who come up from the championship often find it hard to know how to set up their team to defend in the Premiership, because obviously to set up your team to go up in the championship, you often you're often setting up to score goals, to win games, one of the better teams in the league. And that's what managers specialise in, in the championship to get their teams up. And actually, you find a lot of them struggle to set up their teams at the other end of the pitch when they get into the Premier League at that higher level. And I think that's potentially where we might be seeing with Eddie Howe is that as a manager, he doesn't feel comfortable or feel like he has the abilities to set up his team to concede less goals. And therefore, he's setting up his team to score more goals and knowing he is going to concede a lot of goals. And it worked for him for a period of time, but eventually it's caught up with him. But I think it is almost playing to the strength of the team rather than trying to battle the weaknesses, which he maybe, as a manager, isn't so good at or isn't so comfortable with with his skill set. It'll be interesting to see what happens to Bournemouth next year. The, the championship is a, it's a difficult league. And it is one of the maddest leagues in the world and anything can happen. As we saw on the final day of the season of the championship this year, it was... Unbelievable, to say the least, Ali. So, I mean, it wasn't even just the final day of the season. It was the whole lead-up to the end of the championship this year. So we had Leeds going up comfortably as champions. And amazing, a great to see Leeds back in the Premier League. One of the, the great sides in English football. And they've deserved to be in the Premier League in 16 years. is far too long for them to have been in the championship. But then we had the kind of battle for second, which was mainly Brentford versus West Brom. Fulham were kind of hoping for an outside chance, but that never really materialised. And now Brentford had been on st- Stunning form, absolutely stunning form since the restart to football. They won seven games in a row and that were kind of off the back of an amazing season for them. And they've got, got a brand new stadium and things looking great at Brentford. And going in with two games to go, they'd got into that second place for the first time in months. And all they had to do was win their last two games and they would have got into the second place, would have qualified for the championship, qualified for the premiership, sorry. And then they went and lost to Stoke 1-0 on the second last day of the season. They put West Brom back into second. And on the last day of the season, West Brom drew two all to QPR. So all Brentford had to do was beat Barnsley, one of the worst teams in the league, and Brentford going to lose two one, and Barnsley stay up in the championship, and Brentford stay in third. And that's just what the championship is. It is just shocks left, right, and centre. I mean, there's so much more happened on the on the last day of the season, but we'll focus on the the teams going up for now. Obviously, do you think now Brentford going into that playoffs? Obviously, you kind of have the heartbreak of losing out in the last of the season, you got to pick yourself up again. There was only a four-day turnaround and they played Swansea on Sunday and lost 1-0, having had a red card. And you just think now Brentford, it's going to be hard for them. Obviously, they are going back home and it's only a 1-0 lead, but you just think having such a good season, they could eventually be stuck in the championship again next year. Yeah, it, goes, it goes momentum again, doesn't it? Yeah, it goes... Um... On, on what's happening here is, is when you want to ride that wave, the crest of that wave, you want you want to you know harness harness the good feeling. When, when, when you're playing well as a as an athlete and performing well, you know you're not thinking about things, you're just doing. And I'm sure right now there's a lot of people in that dressing room who are certainly thinking about things and certainly thinking about 
playing rather than just doing it. But the thing is, it only takes one moment. It only takes one goal. It only takes uh, one one bit of magic. And, um, and they're right back into it. I mean, Brentford, I don't... You might know. I'm not sure Brentford have ever been in the top league of of English football. Certainly not that I know, and it would have been years if they have. Which and it'd be great. You know, I love seeing new new clubs and 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 clubs coming up and and research, especially ones that's investing in stadium and it seems to be doing things the right way. But I think rather than you know, the, the most amazing thing for me is it's not necessarily Brentford missing out on second, but it's Nottingham Forest <sighs> missing out on the entirety of the playoffs. Yeah, I know, honestly, so. Obviously, people will know that I have an affinity to Nottingham Forest, having lived there for the past four years. Um, but before we mention that, I think we should mention that the second playoff game was Fulham versus Cardiff. And now Fulham won 2 0. And to be honest, I can't. And obviously, second legs to go. And then the final. But I actually can't see past Fulham. Um, they just look ruthless under Scott Parker. I mean, they did a job on. They did a job on. Forest, they did a job on Cardiff in the last few weeks of the season to ensure their place in the playoff, and they just look like they are, and they've now done a job on Cardiff again away from home. And, I, and under Scott Parker, they look like a team that is ruthless. But on the playoffs, I mean, Nottingham Forest had an absolute capitulation, to say the least. So five games to go, they were fourth, and it was, ba- and then we said on the show after the Derby game, it's looking like they're going to be in the playoffs. And I think they probably needed some like two points from the last five games. Or it must have been three points because they only got two points from the last five games and they ended up missing out on goal difference. So yeah, they didn't look two draw, three draws out the last five games. They got two points at the last four after the Derby game we spoke about. Um, but even on the last days of the season, they needed, a, they needed to lose. They needed to lose. Swansea needed to win and there needed to be a five goal swing. And after 60 minutes, Nottingham Forest were one all. So you thought, well, a five-goal swing is not looking that likely. I think Swansea at the time were 2-1 against Reading. So again, it's not looking that promising. But then Swansea scored in the 66th minute. And then Forrest conceded three goals in the last 25 minutes, including an own goal in the 91st minute. Only for then, that still wouldn't have been enough until then Routledge scored for Swansea in the 91st minute also putting Swansea one goal ahead on goal difference and eventually putting them into the into the into the playoffs. It's it's unbelievable. It's 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 one of just the biggest kind of capitulations ever. But I think for Forest fans, they just feel like oh, it's just same old Forest. Just the um, the kind of forever the heartbreak kids, the forever the almost kids, the forever missing out on the playoffs in the last day of the season and, and it's just well back in the championship where we belong. That certainly seems to be the tone we feel, but I think it's a shame. I think Forrest, with so much history in English football, would have been a great addition to the Premiership this year if they had got through those playoffs. Yeah, and it shows how difficult, as you said, it is to get out of there. You know, we, we, we talk about teams with history in, in, in the championship and the list the list could go on. Uh, West Brom and Leeds have managed to get out of there, but certainly they didn't, they didn't just pop back up overnight. And, you know, it's why maybe the importance of Brentford, yeah, this might be their... Their chance, you know, my affiliation in 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 football in the championship is Derby, and it, it was you know, four or five years ago. Now Derby went into a playoff final. Um, I think played against it might have been Fulham or, or QPR. I think QPR went down to ten men. Derby battered them, but couldn't put the ball in the net. And then with a, a minute or so to go, QPR scored on the break. You know, and and Derby since then haven't looked like you know getting back. So. It's obvious thing to say, but when you have your chance, you need to take it because people are looking at at, at Norwich right now and people are saying to Norwich, well, you know, they went up, they've gone straight back down, but 
almost in terms of Norwich's development, and that's okay. You know, you almost want that experience in the Premier League and then you can go back down and they've kind of planned for this and, and it's okay. And there doesn't seem to have been a huge amount of bluster and pomp and circumstance about Norwich not making up. But, I mean, that's it's, for me, it's so naive. It's, it is so difficult to get back up. It's not going to be a case of, right, we've had one year in the Premier League, we've got experience, we've got pretty much the same squad, okay, we're going to go back down and use that experience, use the parachute payments the right way and, and build the right way and, and just up we go the next year and be more prepared for it. You just can't, it just can't, it just doesn't work like that. If that was the case, then it would, there would be a pool of, you know, 22 clubs who would be Premier League clubs, but yeah. it, it's, it's just, it's not, it's not the case. I mean, it is a brutal league. I mean, 24 teams, 46 games, Probably one of the biggest in professional football. And I mean, and you, and you look at the teams that are in there. You've got Huddersfield, Middlesbrough, Stoke, Reading, QPR, Derby, Forest, Swansea, Cardiff, Fulham. I mean, obviously, some of them are in the playoffs, but so many teams with Premier League pedigree and some teams you think should be in the Premier League. And they're all fighting out for three places. And it is just that kind of constant battering of tough game after tough game all the time grinds you down and you have to do really well to get out of the championship and it's not a given as you said so it'll be so interesting to see what happens next year whether some of these teams that miss out whether they can keep their form going obviously we mentioned before about Wickham going to be in there for the first time we'll be following how they get on because that's a fantastic story but yeah championship I think potentially the most exciting league in England and certainly deserves more more focus so another tough sport in the world test cricket you know, five-day slog, you get to the end of it, not get a result. But, you know, cricket fans love having it back and, and, and it's been great to see it back. And as we record here on, on Tuesday morning, um, there's one day left in the in the final test between England and the West Indies. Um, and the big story has been, as we'll talk about, it, Stuart Broad. So Stuart Broad, six for in the first innings, uh, Old Trafford, Emirates Old Trafford, and, and is now currently, I think it's two away, from becoming the seventh bowler and the and the fourth seamer to take 500 wickets in Test cricket. Yeah, I mean, he did everything he said he was going to do. He basically said, if I get back into the team, you're sure I'm going to take my spot because he didn't feel he deserved to be drop, dropped. And he's done it. And he's absolutely done it. And it's and I mean, I think it just stands up that we need to give Stuart Broad more, more credit. I think... Obviously, he did really well in that last test with those three vital wickets that turned the game. He didn't get as many in the whole game as he would have liked, but that was a really important spell. And then he's come out in this game and he's been absolutely fantastic. Those four wickets to end the innings. And it will rest in these first innings and then those two wickets at the end of the third day to kind of really put the nail in West Indies' coffin. You feel like now, obviously, when you listen, you'll know the result. But for us sitting here now, it feels like 96 overs and eight wickets for England seems a pretty pretty inevitable England will win the series and they're going to have Stuart Broad to thank for a lot of that and, and I think that's as and when he gets to 500 whether it's on the final day of the West Indies test or whether it's against Pakistan you think if he doesn't do it here he'll do it against Pakistan in, in the coming weeks how amazing that is you look at the list fourth highest seamer so only above him is Courtney Walsh Glenn McGrath and James Anderson and I don't think England appreciate in Stuart Broad right now that they have a bowler in the same breath as Courtney Walsh and Glenn McGrath. They think they appreciate it in James Anderson, but I don't think they appreciate it in Stuart Broad. And I think it's only now, maybe now he's been dropped and we've had these conversations that we are starting to realise how good Stuart Broad actually is. I mean, 500 test wickets. That's that's incredible. I mean, and maybe this is just me because I always thought, oh, he was just, <laughs> he was just Jimmy's, Jimmy's mate that kind of gets on burst and does good things at periods of times. But actually, uh, to build a career and take that many wickets is 
is something we should not underestimate. And I think for years to come, we it's just the, as the years go on, we're going to realize more and more how good Stuart Broad actually was. Yeah, and I think you know when people think about English fast bowling at the moment, it's Anderson and Broad. Oh, it's Broad and Anderson. It's, they always come as a a pair, don't they? And 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 because the leader of the attack, and rightly so for so long, has been Anderson, that kind of it's very easy to see Broad as that, you know, that partner in crime. Um, you know, what's going to be interesting to me is, and Broad has always done well when he's his back's against the wall. For whatever reason, you know, when we talk about, we talked about previous episodes about he's been a bowler who's kind of come in waves uh, of wickets. And when he get, gets on the roll and he bowls a little bit fuller, then 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 he, he'll have games and series where wickets just come and come and come. And then he might, yeah, and that's the same as, as all athletes. You go a little bit in and out of, out of form. But when he's got a bit of a chip in his shoulder, you know, broad is a solve. And actually, what intrigues me more. It's not that he's gone and taken six wickets and that he's now almost got 500 and he took three points. It's that, you know, people think Stribble has a test match 100. Yeah. And got 50 in this game as well. That's my point is that he, for about three years plus, has been a walking wicket. And all of a sudden, when the back's against the wall, you know, there's times he might have batted to eight for England, or certainly nine. And he's and, had that injury, which really put his batting down yeah, for a few years. And what have you. But. You know, he's recovered from he got hit in the head and that's gonna and that is gonna, you know, have a have a lasting effect on lots of people. Uh, and uh, it's not just gonna recover from that. But he's that was a while ago now, and all of a sudden when his his validity in the team has been questioned, what does he do? We know he can take wickets with bats, but he scores runs again. And and so that just shows so for me, when times are getting maybe a little bit more comfortable, so in twelve months' time when potentially these questions aren't being asked and his back's not against the wall, how he'll react to it then? Yeah, I think that's a good point. But I also think, I guess, how you think, how much longer is he going to last than Jimmy Anderson? And Jimmy Anderson looks like he's going to go on for ages, so I'm not sure. But, I mean, he's, what, he's 34 broad, Anderson's 37? 38. 38. And so you think that there's going to be a time where broad is, even, even for a year or two, he's going to be the main the main strike board, the league, the leader of the attack. And you think someone like Broad is someone who would thrive under that because, again, he likes that pressure. He likes that kind of responsibility, like, you're Broad, you're the man. Go and do it. And he, I think he will thrive under that. And you actually got to think that, say Broad does have three more years in him, he's going to surpass Courtney Walsh. I think it's only 30 or 40 ahead of him right now. He might even surpass Glenn McGrath. And that would just show how lucky England have been for the past 10 plus years, having them two. If them two are sat at the top of the tree as a top wicket takers of all time, I mean, depending on how John Jimmy Anderson plays, he might, if say Jimmy Anderson only plays maybe six or seven more tests. Now, I think he's going to play more than that, looking at his body and the way he's, he's performing. But you almost wonder if, he, if Broad plays enough and Anderson stops you enough, he might even get close to Anderson. And that will just show how good Broad is and how good that pair is. And I guess, and how England are just never, or for certainly for a long time, ever going to replace them. I mean, they're not. The one thing we haven't talked about here when we talk about England having two bowlers, seamers, is that they are playing in English conditions. Yeah. So, you know, they, they, we'd be remiss for, for us not to say that you, you take some of the South African, other South African greats, Australian greats, uh, et cetera, et cetera, you, you know, West Indian, and, and, you, and you put them in England and they're their home tests and they're playing, you know, double-digit tests at home, 
you know, a, a summer or certainly seven between seven and ten, then with the swinging and seeming ball and the Duke's ball, uh, it would be different. But so let's not, you know, get carried away here. But yes, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's English fans are just used to it now. Mm-hmm. And, and it's going to be a case if you don't know what you've got till it's gone. It really, really is. Now, Stuart Boy is a fantastic boy. He's a fantastic cricket. We know that. And yes, he's probably been underappreciated. It's just going to be really interesting to see how how England deal with this now. Because, you know, the Archer has not really been a factor in this test, in series. Wokes has come in and, and, and done, you know, what he has done and takes wickets here and there and be part of it. Wood has played one test, didn't really do a huge amount. Yes, you know, it's thrown to the fact there's rust, slash thrown to the fact that there's been no cricket for how many months, but that's been the same for all the players out there. So if you look at it in, in, in a vacuum, and, and even, you know, when they were trying to bowl West Indies out and the West Indies were trying to avoid the follow-on, um, on, on the morning of day three, they, they open with Archer and Wokes, mm-hmm. potentially trying to save Broad and Anderson maybe for the new ball if they managed to bowl that time. But it wasn't until Broad and Anderson came on that they end up bowling them out, you know? And so it shows that what do the England selectors do now? They've, they've tried to kind of integrate players in slowly. They think that Archer might have something. And yes, Archer's he's got a very young test career and he's fabulous. But how they go about this whole transition is going to be fascinating. Yeah, I mean, and there's absolutely no doubt that England have loads of loads of talent in the first bowling department and all those names you said are, fa- are fabulous bowlers. And you didn't even mention Sam Curran, who I think has actually been one of the most consistent performers for England over the past two, three years, whenever he gets his opportunity to play. Now, he might not often blow teams away and do matching performances like you see from Broad and you see from Anderson, but he he's always good for a couple of wickets and good for a few runs as well. So you think he's going to have a good test match career as he gets more and more opportunities and as he gets older. But I think England will still have a good fastballing attack when Broad and... Anderson do hang up their boots, but I mean, it, it's just potentially not going to be great like it has been for a lot of the last few years. So what 2021 looks like is going to be incredibly fascinating for cricket because the World Cup has been pushed back. 2020 World Cup was meant to happen in Australia in this October this year has been pushed back. A lot of test match cricket and one day international cricket and IPLs and things have been pushed back. And with the new Test Cricket World Championship and with the new 13-team ODI World League uh, that's starting, meant to be starting and putting more emphasis on on bilateral series in, in, in international cricket at the top level, they're going to have to find a way to fit all this in. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be a case of, well, we can just you know replace it with another bilateral series here or whatever else. Uh, these these games need to be fitted in. So what 2021 looks like is going to be a very, very hairy schedule and cricket lovers out there will hopefully have an amazing amount of high-quality cricket to, to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be great. Um, I think just one final note in England, I think I'd lo- we have to mention Rory Burns and Dom Sibley. I mean, we all know about the England have had, the issues England have had with opening batsmen and finding a partner for Alistair Cook and then Alistair Cook retiring and the fact that they found two batsmen there that have seemed to be settling into the team and seem to be scoring a good volume of runs. Obviously, Tim Sibley scoring two fifties in the test match, and that's the first player to do that since Alistair Cook. And, it, and the previous openers to do that are Strauss, 
before that and Vaughan before that. And it's just a who's who of England Open. So that's a good sign for him. And then Rory Burns looks like he's going to be a good England player for a while. So England have potentially fixed a the problem there. But no, in terms of 2021, I mean, if they do manage to fit all these games in, they're going to have to, they need to fit in. It's going to be amazing for fans. I mean, we already worry that players are playing too much cricket. So it might not be good for players. But hopefully... ICC and teams will find a way to play games and whether it's behind closed doors in bio bubbles as we're seeing right now, we don't know what the situation is going to be next year, obviously, but I mean, there's going to be a lot of interesting cricket and I can't wait for it. Yeah. I think whether cricketers are playing too much cricket um, right now is, is a conversation for another time. If, <laughs> if, if, you, if you look down the the entirety of the international fixture, cal- fixture card from, from the number one team in the world down to the 25th team in the world. I think there's a debate to be had there, but we'll have for another time. Uh, finally, on a quick note, just going to my favourite sport, American football. In the last week, we've seen finally that the Players Association, the NFL, are, are managing to come together in some sort of agreement of what a season might look like in 2020 uh, around COVID restrictions. I think in America right now, it seems to be an absolute mess with everything that's going on with that, with that pandemic. But it looks like that there, there hopefully is going to be some American football, some NFL. Um, baseball started up in the last week. Uh, basketball has its has its bicycle bubble to get its playoffs done in Orlando. And hopefully uh, American football can keep its players association and, and the league can keep working together. Um, there's going to be no, no preseason games. Uh, there's a, there's a, been a decision around what training camp is going to start to look like and testing around players. So the hope is that that those that the, the the pandemic hasn't affected too much the population and and that we can find a way to see American football in, in the autumn because I think e- even over here in Britain uh, for sport lovers you know on a Sunday night nestling in in front of uh, in front of some games becomes a bit of a bit of a staple bit of a staple so good to see that uh, it looks like there's going to be some at least a little bit of positivity towards potentially some some American football in the, in the, in the autumn. Anyway, that'll do us for the start of season two. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, I say from, from next week, we'll be joined again by, by a guest. Uh, we've got a couple of fantastic guest lines up and we, we look forward to bringing you that. And until then, everyone stay safe. Mm-hmm.